Hello and welcome to Historian Podcast with me, Jack Pettit, and our resident historian, Paul Fletcher. Episode 9 of our Cold War Origin series, and today we're going to be answering the question, why the arms race from 45 to the early 1960s was so important in both starting but also worsening the Cold War. Fletch, hello. Hi, Jack. Episode nine already. Here we Episode are. Episode nine. Here we go. Right. So um, let's begin by um, giving a narrative kind of overview of how the arms race actually developed between forty-five to early sixties. Okay. Well, when we're talking about the arms race, we're talking about essentially uh, an attempt by either the Soviet Union or in particular the United States, to gain some sort of military advantage over the other, which would then allow them to then force, in some ways maybe, the other to give up or give way over whatever it is they want. And of course, the arms. there's always been an arms race, hasn't there? Right from the beginning of time. I mean, you know, if you, we do... we you know, been studied together in the past about uh, the history of warfare and you can see the arms races there. You know, you've got the uh, the crossbow being replaced by the, the longbow. You've got the uh, different types of bayonets evolving as time goes on. Um, so in that sense, this is nothing new. But what's new here is that we have a completely brand new weapon developed, which of course is the nuclear weapon, okay? Not a conventional weapon at all, whereby one bomb has a unique, unprecedented amount of power, destructive power, um, to uh, inflict damage upon the enemy. So that's what that's what's uh, going on here. This is we're starting from effectively uh, a baseline which we've never been at before. Um, now I've mentioned this arms race between the Soviet Union and the Americans, but in actual fact, the nuclear bomb is developed not out of a, uh, an arms race between the Soviet Union and the Americans, it's developed because there was an arms race going on in World War II between the Americans and Germany, Nazi Germany. Um, the American Roosevelt was warned uh, by Einstein, the very famous scientist, that um, he thought that the uh, the Nazi Germany was uh, trying to develop this weapon uh, called uh, the nuclear bomb using nuclear power, and it would give them a huge military advantage. And so therefore, Roosevelt decided that they also had to have this weapon if if it could be created. And with that, he ordered the beginning of what was called the Manhattan Project. Now, luckily, the Nazi Germany was defeated before it got to develop a nuclear bomb. And by the time Nazi Germany was defeated in May 1945, the Americans were close to having a nuclear bomb, but hadn't got there yet. So, the whole reason why the nuclear bomb was being developed by the Americans had gone. But of course, in the summer of 1945, they still had to defeat the Japanese. And therefore, when the uh, bomb was finally tested successfully on the 16th of July, 1945. Just a day before the start just of the, day con- before the Potsdam, wasn't Potsdam it? Potsdam Conference, yeah. Okay. And uh, so therefore, you know, Truman got news of this. Um what that meant was that this this gave the Americans uh, a weapon that they could potentially use 
against the Japanese. Because the big problem for the American planners was that they expected uh, the invasion and the conquest of Japan by conventional means would lead to at least a million dead. You know, casualty rates that the American public probably wouldn't stand. And so therefore, the Americans decided that they, they would use the, uh, the bombs, uh, uh, Little Boy and Fat Man, they were called, and they dropped both of them on um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And as a result of dropping those, then that then forced Japan to surrender. Now, how the Russians saw that, we'll discuss later on. So with that, the Americans are the only country in the world to have nuclear weapons, okay? So they have what we call a nuclear monopoly, okay? But inevitably, with Stalin already looking at the Americans as potential enemies, and Stalin actually already knowing, he knew he 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 you know got um, information via spies about the Manhattan Project. So Stalin therefore ordered that the Soviet Union also needed to have its own nuclear weapon, and they a nuclear program began for them as well. And they successfully dominated a bomb in 1949, much to the great surprise. I mean, the Americans knew the Soviets were going to try and catch up, but they really were quite shocked they caught up quite so quickly. So we could say that the arms race begins, um, not just in the Cold War, but like you said, going way back to um, one side having a better weapon. There's always been arms races. Yeah. Always. But it, it, we can split it into two, I suppose. One, having a better weapon a more powerful weapon than your enemy. Um, and then later on, it's obviously about the delivery systems. How do you get that yeah, weapon from yeah, A to B? Yes. And, but I think the, the, thing, the important thing to realise is that is that people realise a, a concept of an arms race is nothing new. And that this particular arms race began as actually the Americans versus and, and, and their British allies in an arms race with Germany. Yeah. Okay. It was then used against Japan. But of course, in terms of the Cold War, what that did... And again, it's another link between World War II and the Cold War, was that that therefore gave another cause for the Cold War to exist because uh, both of the both sides felt they needed to have, as you said, the best uh, weapon they could have. And the arms race then is, was on with the Soviets then trying to catch up, which they did in 1949. And of course, when they then had caught up, then the question then is, right, to the Americans was, well, how can we then get ahead of the arms race? Okay, once more. Um, because you see, the, the thing was, we've got to remember is that the Americans certainly in, you know, 45, 46, 47, 48, Truman, remember we said in an earlier podcast, Truman couldn't quite work out how best to deal with and the Soviets. Um, and, and he had this just this idea of how to get, get tough. And certainly he thought that having this nuclear weapon was just like big stick, which he could use to beat the Soviets with and therefore make them do what he wanted them to do and play more nicely, I suppose, that's the way he would put it. So you're quite right. There are three elements here. There's sort of the power of the weapon. There's having a better delivery system, okay? So, of course, if you're going to deliver it by aircraft, aircraft can be shot down. How far can the aircraft go, okay? So there's numbers, there's delivery system, and uh, or, or range, if you like, and then there's the power of the bomb. Okay, yeah. So that was the next part. That was the next step. The Americans developed in the early fifties. 
played about a hydrogen bomb, something like a thousand times more powerful than the traditional atomic bomb had been. Okay, and within one year, 1953, the Soviets have caught up. Okay, all right. So again, we're looking at we're looking at how do we gain an advantage? Because the basic thing is, if you, if you've got a lead. You want to get a lead because that will mean that you can then, uh, if a war happens, you then will win that war. That's the theory. And you might be able to put pressure on the other side. You don't want to be behind in the arms race because if you're behind in the arms race, if a war is caused, you're going to lose. And also, you're not going to be able to necessarily stand up to any, if you like, bullying that the other side is going to do. That's what's going on here for both sides. Each side, as I said in a previous podcast, each side sees the other side as having nuclear weapons that they might use against them, and they see them as a threat. They don't see them as a uh, as a defensive measure. Okay, they see them as a threat. Okay, yeah. And then you basically get, and then you basically get right. Okay, well, uh, how are we going to improve things? Okay, we'll find a new delivery system. So the Americans were in the 1940s, late 40s, 50s. They developed something called Strategic Air Command uh, under the leadership of uh, Curtis LeMay um, and uh, nicknamed Bombs Away LeMay, who was um, certainly a very interesting character. Um, and uh, I think a danger to world peace, in my humble opinion. Um, but the Strategic Air Command was always supposed to be up there flying around, ready to drop bombs at the first opportunity if they were needed. But, um, of oh, aircraft have got limitations. And, um, of course, the V-2s had been rockets during the uh, the, the war. Talking and about the German... The German V-2s, yeah. Nazi so German G- V-2s. Yeah, yeah. And so both sides had captured... Uh, both sides had captured uh, V2 scientists, um, wanted their expertise about rockets. And so by 1957, you've got both sides produced, first of all, the Americans, but fairly soon afterwards, the, the Soviets are both producing what are called intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs. Range The American had a range of about 4,500 miles. And they could therefore launch that in America and it could hit across the world. Hence intercontinental. Hence intercontinental. Between continents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, well, where else can we gain an advantage? And so, therefore, space. Uh, the spinal frontier, to uh, use the phrase from Star Trek. Uh, and um, in 1957, they put uh, the uh, the Russians put Sputnik up there, which is a sort of satellite. First and, ever satellite. Yeah, yeah, first ever satellite. And the Americans see this as having huge military uh, uh, potential, and so in 1958 they responded by uh, creating NASA, um, which was again was meant to therefore gather the give the Americans a, a, a military presence in space, mm. uh, which they would respond to that. So what you have therefore is between 1945 and 1958 they have this constant trying to leapfrog over the other, trying to gain some sort of advantage, and what it does is it just uh, massively militarizes the Cold War, uh, massively increases the destructive nature of the Cold War, and so by nineteen early nineteen sixties, you know you've got uh, you've got you've got submarines that can launch missiles as well. I mean that you know, and and the world you know is in serious serious danger. Mm. Thank you, really really useful. So let's ask that question then. So why was the arms race? from 45 to the early 60s, um, important in starting and then developing the Cold War? Okay, well, starting the Cold War, it's quite clear that the 
the, the arms race, the nuclear, the Americans having the nuclear weapon, not sharing that information, and then using it against Japan, um, that was a, a clear factor in diminishing the trust um, that Stalin felt towards the Americans because he looked at this and thought, right, well, we're supposed to be allies, so you're not sharing that information. Why? And then when they used it, you know, Stalin thought, well, actual fact, why are you using it against Japan? And a lot of, uh, you know, what, what he saw was that this was being used against Japan, but it was being used as a demonstration by the Americans of what they would do to the Russians. Yeah. Okay. If they, you know, if they if they needed to. Yeah. And, and to be quite frank, I mean, he probably wasn't wrong in that in the sense of Truman actually looked at this as a weapon to use to, or the potential weapon to use to try to force the, the Soviets to do things. And so, therefore, you can clearly see that the early phases of the arms race were an absolutely crucial factor in the breakdown of trust within the Grand Alliance, which, of course, then leads to the Cold War between 1945 and 1949. In the longer term, the arms race was important for the Cold War because what it did was it just created a greater sense of fear of the other side and what the other side could do. Now, we have this concept of deterrence, okay? This idea that, you know, you won't attack the other side because you've got enough weapons to retaliate. But because both sides was trying to increase their nuclear stockpiles or better delivery way systems or whatever the case may be to gain advantage, by the early 1960s, we've got this concept called mutual assured destruction. So basically each side could obliterate the other. Okay, and both sides saw the other, therefore, as a huge threat to each other. Um, of course, the high point of that will be the Cuban Missile Crisis in the early sixties. In the early sixties, okay, yeah, yeah, where <clears throat> the world for a while looks as though it could be on the point of a nuclear war, but it also causes um, it also causes problems between the two in, in other ways. I mean, for example, the U two incident where. You know, the spy plane was shot down. Why do U-2 planes exist? They exist because the Americans were trying to find out details about the Soviet, amongst other things, details about the Soviet nuclear program, so they weren't going to be blindsided and caught out. And, of course, the shooting down of that uh, plane in the early 60s caused another crisis. So you can clearly see that nuclear weapons um, were a real... And, and they, the arms race continued right up until the 1980s, of course, with Reagan and yeah. Strategic Defence Initiative and everything else. So they're a real cause of tension throughout the whole of the Cold War. However, having said that, the very threat of the nuclear weapons and the growth of nuclear weapons also caused periods of um, improved relations within the Cold War. And the first was in the 1950s, where both Eisenhower and Khrushchev, the new Russian leader following after Stalin, they both were worried about the danger of the growing nuclear arsenals that they both had. And so they tried to get along better. So in the 1950s, you can see what's called the peace, uh, the policy of peaceful coexistence. So you get things like in 55, um, what to do with Austria. We never talk about Austria. Austria was also divided into four. Vienna was divided into four sectors, but there was no peaceful agreement in 1955 that Austria would be a neutral, unarmed state. Okay? 1954, the, Gene the Geneva Accord for Vietnam. There's an agreement about Vietnam. Vietnam was going to be divided into north and south, and that therefore 
that was a solution to that particular problem, okay? Khrushchev even visited America in 1959. So that's a period of trying to make relations better. And of course, in the 1970s, you also have deterrence. Detente. Detente. Get my Ds right. Detente, which again is a period of an attempted improved relations, partly driven by a response to the nuclear threat, okay, which both sides feel. So while the nuclear arms race was a, in many ways, negative for the Cold War, had a negative impact on the Cold War, it could also have a positive impact on the Cold War as well. I think if I can be allowed to digress for a minute, I mean, I think we, you know, just going beyond just the impact on the Cold War, I mean, if you want to look at America, I think we have to, um, we have to recognise that uh, one of the consequences of uh, impacts on America itself is, because the Americans couldn't understand how the Soviet Union caught up so quickly in 1949. And um, then it became clear that, uh, you know, the they, they Soviet Union, they'd been spies. And of course, this, this whole thing ex- explains, as one of the key reasons explaining the sort of like uh, the 1950s McCarthy era, era and the hunt for, you know, communists in America and, um, the, you know, the Red Scare, etc. You know, a very yeah. unpleasant time in America in many ways. And that's driven by what's going on with the nuclear arms race and the Soviet success within it. And then you look across at popular culture as well, both in the West, particularly in American popular culture. So um, you get a lot of films which are about the dangers of nuclear warfare. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of... Uh, Godzilla. Yeah. yeah, well, Godzilla, the first Godzilla for, film is in 1954. It's a direct reference to the danger of nuclear warfare. And then also, you also get things like um, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a very famous film from, I think, about 57. And that's uh, about uh, people being taken over by aliens. But that's actually a reflection of the paranoia that people feel at the time about the possibility of there being a threat within, within America. So... It has all sorts of impacts upon people. And we can see as well in the 50s, we can see the beginning of an anti-war movement. Uh, So 1958 sees the formation of CND, which again is this reaction to the threat of the world coming to an end if we're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting to think that it's not just, you know, global impacts, but also, you know, how much something like the arms race, a symbol of the Cold War, can impact um, so heavily on internal affairs as well, of course. Yes, and, and, and beyond just the, uh, the blindingly obvious, you know, it, I, mean, I, I mean, I can speak as somebody, I was born in 1959, and uh, one of the films, so I grew up with the arms race, and one of the films that made a real impression on me, I watched it, must have watched it in the 70s, was a film that was made in the end of the 50s, and it was uh, called On the Beach. It was based on a book by written by Neville Shute, and it was about uh, there being a nuclear war and the nuclear cloud was coming down and heading towards Australia, and all, Australia was the one remaining place where there was still civilization. It had a huge impact on me um, yeah. as an as an individual. So you know, if you're living in the Cold War, the threat of nuclear war was uh, something that was uh, ever present. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for listening. Next episode, we're going to be looking at a particular crisis, a flashpoint during the Cold War in Hungary. See you then.